0: Friends, just where you're seated, let me pray. Gracious God, wherever we are on our spiritual journey this morning, we pray that we would hear from you, that we'd hear from you, and we would be changed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Advertisers know that the quickest way to get their fingers into our wallets is through our eyes. We really seem to believe that some of Michael Jordan's height is gonna rub off of us if we buy Nike, or Rihanna's beauty if we buy Fenty. And apparently, in any leadership contest, the taller candidate wins more than 85% of the time. And depending on your political leanings, this will encourage or discourage you that Justin Trudeau is three inches taller than Pierre Poilievre. And Trump claims to be four inches taller than Biden. We've just kicked off a new sermon series called King, spending five weeks looking at the life of King David of Israel and what difference his life makes for ours, how what David did imperfectly, Jesus does perfectly, and what that means for us. And today we heard how... After an embarrassing beauty pageant, which had seen his older taller brothers not chosen, young David is anointed as the future king. And this opening chapter in the incredible life of one of the most important leaders in recorded history reveals a God who plans for us, a God who sees us, and a God who wants to anoint us. Plan sees anoints but especially if you're new this morning or you're spiritually searching let's uh, quickly remind ourselves of the story we're in around thousand bc and ancient israel is roughly the contours of modern day israel and people were fighting over it back then too god had planned to choose a king to lead the israelites but the israelites literally said Cue the whiny voice. But God, we want to choose a king, a king like all the other countries have. All the other moms let me sleep with my phone. And so God relents. And the people choose King Saul, who initially looked like a winner. He came from a wealthy family. You guessed it, he was tall. And apparently, he was the best-looking man in all of Israel. But it turned out he was a dud a bad king who enslaved the people and wouldn't obey God. So God was moving on, sending his prophet Samuel to anoint God's choice this time. But Samuel was nervous about getting on board with God's plan, which you can understand, right? Like kings don't like to lose their power, and Samuel was being sent to anoint a new king behind the old king's back. But God, of course, makes a way, giving Samuel a cover The real reason you're going is to anoint the new king that I'm choosing, but tell people that you were there to make a sacrifice to the Lord. So Samuel makes it to a little town called Bethlehem. You may have recently heard about this town. And he invites a man named Jesse and his sons to the sacrifice. Immediately, Jesse is struck by Jesse's oldest boy, Eliab. Maybe he was a wide receiver for Bethlehem High, 6'2", 225 pounds. Samuel probably not alone in his estimation that future was Eliab's middle name. And being the firstborn, it really meant something in this ancient culture. Not only would the firstborn receive his father's blessing, he would get an extra portion of the family inheritance. And of course, he'd become the family patriarch uh, when Jesse died. Well, this is easy, thinks Samuel. Eliab's obviously God's choice. But no, says God, keep the pageant rolling. Up next, Abinadab. Nope, not him either. What's going on here? Jesse must be thinking. My oldest two boys, they're the biggest and the strongest. What gives? Shammah, get up here. After all seven sons are not chosen by God, now Samuel is confused. He looks at Jesse. Are these all your boys? What part of all your sons do I want you to bring to the sacrifice, don't you understand, Jesse? And so probably with some embarrassment, Jesse admits, well, yes, okay, there is the youngest, but he's out looking after the sheep. And we need to understand that being a shepherd was just about the lowest form of employment you could find, right? They were considered dirty, they were uneducated. And the fact that this is what David is doing means that his dad didn't think much of his youngest son's abilities or his prospects. And David seems to have been short. Good Lord, honey, what are we gonna do with David? Jesse must have said to his wife. And yet God chose the runt of the litter. Young David is anointed with oil as the future king of Israel, while his older brothers try to pick their jaws off the floor. So while God clearly doesn't choose like us, God has a plan for us, sees us, wants to anoint us. God plans. As Tyler said last week, God had a plan to rescue people from the mess we're making of the world and the mess we make of our own lives god had a plan right from the get-go a messiah was going to come a rescuer a savior someone born out of the family tree of king david and here is one of many prophecies about this wonderful plan but you bethlehem although you're small among the tribes of judah from you will come forth for me one who will be ruler over israel his origins are from of old From ancient days God had a plan for young David and while Jesse had you know he kind of pushed David out of the family into the wilderness with the sheep Jesse had inadvertently pushed David towards God and in the wild under the stars at night the Lord had become his shepherd And while God had used rejection and wilderness to shape David's heart, God's plan still took years to fully unfold. It was another 15 years until Saul died and David ascended the throne. God had a plan and a purpose for Israel to become the nation that would be a light to the whole world. And God chose the most unexpected boy to move that plan forward And it's that very same God who has a plan and a purpose for you. Hold that thought. That the the same God who planned a Messiah from the foundation of the world, a savior to come out of the house of David, it's the same God who's got a plan for you. Because to understand the plan, we need to look at how God sees. Is this line from our passage today, good or bad news? When they came, Samuel looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see, they look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Is that good news or is it bad news? Well, it probably depends on how attractive you think you are. It's actually both. On the one hand, it's definitely bad news that God sees us in a way that no one else can. Right? Like if everything I had ever said or done or didn't say and hadn't said was written on little post-it notes and was put all around the sanctuary for you to read... I would be too embarrassed I couldn't uh, stay in the church with you. And if, and if you put a lot of effort into enhancing your physical attractiveness, it's a bit of a letdown uh, to be told it doesn't matter a hill of beans to what's really important in life. So a God who sees, like no one else, it's kind of bad news. <laughs> but on the other hand, it's the best news because our God sees differently not on outward appearance and skill, but on what's going on inside here. Which is my you might have noticed that it seems ironic that after God announces that he doesn't choose based on attractiveness, the text records that David had beautiful eyes and he was handsome. Now the point here is that ugliness is not God's criteria for good leadership either. The critical contrast God is making is not between physical impressiveness and physical repulsiveness, it's the contrast between physical impressiveness and inner virtue, character. A God who sees beyond physical appearance, a God who sees character, who sees virtue, that is great news because a God like that won't let us live in denial. We might imagine ourselves to be, you know, fairly good people, haven't robbed a bank lately, but God sees your heart. We might uh, commend ourselves that our anger doesn't uh, spill out into public or we just keep our jealousy to the nighttime scroll on your phones or we don't physically act on the lust we have for someone who's not ours, but God sees your heart. You see, God is the one person, the one person who truly sees you for who you are, but then does not reject you. We know, we know that if other people really saw all that was in our hearts, they would reject us as work colleagues, as friends, as spouses. They would. And if we had the ability to see all that was in our own hearts all at the same time, could be totally crushed and it is such a mercy that our our brains just physiologically don't work like that. But our God sees and our God still loves. We might feel like no one understands our struggles or our perspective but God sees your heart. We might carry with us scars and regrets that feel like a ball and chain. When when you're facing an injustice or maybe you've been trolled or you're being misrepresented at work, God sees your heart. God sees you. God does not reject you. And God has a plan for you. And finally, that plan includes us being anointed. Now, Using aromatic oil to anoint people either as a medicine or as a sign of hospitality uh, or a way of signifying a person's status, that's very ancient. It's found in many cultures. When I was 18, I had a gap year and lived in India. And and several times I'd go over to people's homes and they would touch my head uh, with oil as as a sign of of welcome. And King Saul, he was anointed with a, a small flask of oil, but young David he was anointed with an entire horn. And then we hear how the Spirit of God came mightily upon David. And remember what we learned last week, that what David did imperfectly as a king, Jesus does perfectly. David was anointed as a king three times in fact, this time, then when he was uh, recognized as the head of his own tribe of Judah, and then a final time when he succeeds Paul uh, onto the throne of Israel. But as we're gonna see in the coming weeks, David was still a deeply flawed man. Yet Jesus, the perfect king, was also anointed, anointed with the Holy Spirit at his baptism, anointed by a woman at a dinner party, and then other women, when they took his body off the cross, anointed his body for burial. But it's not just Israel's greatest king. It's not just the savior of the world who gets their status announced through an anointing. People uh, just like us who are learning how to follow King Jesus, we are anointed at our baptisms. We're washed with water. And and you may have been baptized as a child, so you, you don't remember this. But the pastor then takes some, you guessed it, takes some oil and makes the sign of the cross on your head, symbolizing the spirit of Jesus claiming us. At our baptism, the God who plans, the God who sees, chooses us, not because of our hearts, but in spite of our hearts. In spite of the fact that your heart and mine has both love and hate in it towards God. In spite of the fact that your heart and mine has in it love and hate towards other people. God still chooses and wants to anoint us. And the word Christian means follower of Christ, with Christ meaning, we heard it last week, the anointed one. Remember, Christ is not Jesus' last name. He's Jesus, the anointed one. And at your baptism, you become anointed ones, little Christs. As the famous writer C.S. Lewis said, Tochi, The anointed one. Kent, the anointed one. Ian, the anointed one. Filled with the Holy Spirit. And just as Jesus was an offshoot of King David, a direct descendant, so each of us can be offshoots of Jesus. Like we get to be his hands and feet right here in the heart of this great city. You are the anointed one in your home. You're the anointed one at your office. And this promise to be chosen by the God who plans, the God who sees you and still loves you, it's open to everyone. David's seven brothers, and they didn't get chosen, right? They're kind of standing on the sidelines. They're kind of publicly rejected. But in Jesus, no one needs to be left behind. God has a plan for you. God sees your heart and chooses you in spite of it. And at baptism, God announces us with the power of the Spirit. Now, like young David, uh, you may not understand all the contours of God's plan uh, for many years. But regardless of how old you are, uh, God's plan for you is to every day shape your heart so that you love what God loves. God wants to shape what we desire every day. And that internal work, shaping us to love the things that will bring us hope and peace, that's what the first two of our five ancient spiritual practices, our rhythm of life, that's what they're about here at St. Paul's. Reading the Bible every day, praying every day, shaping our hearts to love what will bring us hope and peace. And Tyler's hosting a workshop on how you can build your own rhythm of life. Uh, It's on February 7th. Sign up. It's going to be really good. And there is a daily prayer and daily Bible reading guide in the glass atrium. You can also download it on our website. No excuses. If you're spiritually curious, pray today that you would begin to love the things that God loves. If you're already a disciple, pray for the will to put that love into action. Pray for the heart of your friends, for your kids. Pray for the hearts of your grandchildren, that God's loves would become our loves. Thanks be to God. Amen.